and welcome to another edition of Veterans to Success. And today I've got with me Chris Ali. Uh, Chris, hello. How are you? Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's great to be here. It's my pleasure. And as as normal, as you'd expect with military or ex-military, there's no words and graces. There's no big. There's no big introduction. What we do is during our conversation, we're going to do. A reveal, a constant reveal, because I know your career, your military career, and I know what you're up to now, uh, which I think is absolutely fabulous. And by the end of by the end of this, you who are listening are going to be uh, entertained, engaged, and astounded at just what you can do when you put your mind to it. All right, Chris. So let's dive straight in. Then, um, tell me a little bit about your life before the military career. So my life before the military career, Joe, was for myself quite a normal life. I was raised in um, a very loving household. I was very fortunate both my parents are still together. So, um, you know, I had for me quite a good upbringing. I've got two siblings, an older sister and a younger sister. Um, so I was the middle child, if you like. Um, right. My mother, she was... Glaswegian from Scotland and my dad's Pakistani he was first generation born here in the UK so growing up you know I got to see a really nice side of religion I got to see the Catholic side from my mother and then the Muslim side from my father so I like to think that set me up really for um, my journey in life because I got to see different opinions and different aspects of religion and i wasn't you know just hyper focused on one route really right good well and, and i mean did did your mom and dad did you live in glasgow or were you living somewhere else yes yeah, so i was born down in slough um, right. lovely old slough and then from there we moved to littlehampton the little seaside town on the south coast um, oh, wow. absolutely lovely to grow up by the sea you know the fresh salt air and the sea air was beautiful um so in terms of that it was lovely and um, we used to go to scotland quite often um, to see my gran and my mum's family over there so that was really nice as well good brilliant and, and, and i'm i'm a glaswegian as well by birth even though I do not sound Scottish. Yeah, I was born in Glasgow uh, and I love the place and I go back regularly as well. So that's something we've got in common anyway. So Definitely. Right. I think it depends on which football team is it, Joe. Uh, well, I, I, I like rugby, right? So I'm going to claim, claim the fifth on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Smash it. So, you know, from having a pretty idyllic life as a child to use your term terminology what made you want to join the army what when was that when was that period that just tipped you balance in the balance for the army yeah no definitely so i think growing up i was always mesmerized by the military my i wouldn't say i came from a family with distinct military ties my dad's father was within uh, the pakistani military my mum has um, an uncle that was in the british army as well so i'd say that was my closest ties to the military but as a young boy i was your typical boy i'd run around i'd play soldier you know i had my yeah. little action men and my figures and i used to love that as a young boy so i think i always aspired to be in the military um one way or another but then that really takes me on while my childhood 
was idyllic for myself and you know I was raised very well when it came to going to college you know I found and I got in with the wrong crowd right Um, okay not necessarily the wrong crowd but the influence that came from the individuals was you know I had had such a great upbringing and an upbringing where it was a bit sheltered to the world in essence it was mm. a case of when i joined in with this crowd in college it was i found this new breath of fresh air i found this freedom and from that freedom you know you go out you have fun you stay out till 11 and you have your parties and things like that so i had found this and i wouldn't say i had become a terrible child or anything like that but what I did find was that I didn't really know what I wanted to do so this led me to go through college I was doing my A levels at the time I had taken on four A levels um, and I I had a my end goal was to be an officer in the Royal Marines during the time of going through college you know I went to the Royal Marines put in my application for that and started to go through the process the Royal Marines um, then turned around and said, unfortunately, your eyesight isn't good enough. So we're going to have to turn down your application. So then I was kind of sitting there as a young lad, 16, 17. I can't remember exactly when I was. I was then sitting there going, well, that's what I wanted to do. What am I going to do now? So this kind yeah. of ran parallel to finding this new freedom and this group of friends and not knowing what I was going to do. So the reason I went and done my A-levels was so I could get the qualifications and the grades to go and be an officer. Obviously, they told me I couldn't do that. So I was like, why am I going to go through all this effort in college and stick out the two years and do all this hard work if I can't get what I wanted at the end? Because yeah. I was still young. I I didn't have a clue of life or yeah, how yeah. life worked or what happens later on. So I decided to drop out of college then. So I attained my first year. I got my AS levels and I just went, that's it. I'm happy with that. I'm not going to continue and get the full A levels. From there, I then worked at an amusement park down on the seafront. And I worked as an apprentice in a mechanic's garage. Um, so this was great. When I look back at back at it now, that attained me a lot of life skills and a lot of knowledge and experience that I was able to bring forward now by having that ability to have the retrospect and the vision of back then. Yeah. So my time when I was at the amusement arcades, my boss at the time was smart. I'll always remember him. He's uh, He was a very influential man in my life at that point. He was actually ex-parachute regiment officer himself. And oh, I remember right. during my process to go for the Royal Marines, he would always be like, why are you going for the Royal Marines? Go for the <laughs> Reg, they're better. But I had no clue who the parachute regiment was at the time. So when they turned around and said, you can't um, come and join us, I obviously had disclosed this to him. And he was like, look, maybe you should think about this path. And then he almost, in essence, was... When I think about it now in terms of what he done for me, it was almost like a mentor sort yeah. of position. But I didn't know that at the time because I was young, naive and inexperienced. So he's guided me and he said, go have a look at these people. But that stuck in my head. Obviously, I met up. I had a partner at the time and I, you know, moved out of the house because I had this freedom when and moved in with her. And it wasn't the best of relationships, to be honest. It was... There was, we were arguing all the time. It just wasn't yeah. healthy. 
and it wasn't healthy for my life. I couldn't see that, but my parents could. So one day that all came to an end and my parents were like, well, if you want to come home, you, you need to figure out what you're doing. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm going to join, I'm going to join the army. I'm going to do it. So my dad drove me to the careers office in Chichester and I went in and I was like, right, I want to join up. What can I join? And I want to join as fast as I can. And the guy was like, oh, they, they always try and promote their own regiment. Yeah, of course they? they do. Yeah. And he's like, oh, come and join the PWRRs, which is the yeah, Prince of Wales. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, the Prince of Wales Royal Regiment. He was like, come yeah. join them. That that that's the South unit, the regiment. And I was like, mm, what's this parachute regiment? Because Wes had obviously told me about it. He was like, Oh, you don't want to join them, mate. You know, it's hard to get in there. You, you've got to be really fit. And I was very fit as a young lad. Right. And I was like, Okay, I want to do that. Because if I see always throughout my life i've always wanted to achieve best achieve greatness and if there's something that can be achieved that is hard or but it attains you a sense of pride for it i've always gravitated towards that so he's gone it's it's very hard to get in you won't be able to do it and i went watch this space i'm doing it yeah, 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 I went down, done the prac, done all the um, the interview stages and that for it, and I passed. I passed a mile and a half in under nine minutes thirty. Oh, good luck! Yeah, that was needed for that, and that's really my journey of how I ended up in the parachute regiment, and then going forwards from there. Yeah, well, I I, I remember when I went for uh, where was it? Something Coalfields, that's where we did ours and the mile and a half. And it was pretty mm-hmm. good because only four years earlier I'd been involved with a road traffic incident where I broke my legs and loads of other stuff. So, uh, like you, uh, challenges come and go. How did you, mum and dad, uh, support you and what did they think about you wanting to join the military? So, my dad, very much so, he was of that old school mentality of you know go and get a trade get a trade set yourself up um have that because when you have a trade you always have that security you can always fall back on it if needs be so for my dad it was very much a sense of oh don't just go infantry go and get a trade get a trade that will set you up and he was very forefront and pushing of that um obviously i didn't listen i went straight into the infantry into the paris my mum on the other hand was very they are both supportive um but my mum was more no you want to go do that go do it make it work um Good. for yourself and be happy with that and, and and i mean you mentioned that your dad was uh of military military stock if you like uh and and i think people underestimate how much how important the pakistan and Indian regiments were to us, and many other multinationals, the Commonwealth, during the war, they mm. were they were an amazing addition to our to our military strength, and they played a big part. And I think people underestimate that or do not even know about it. So I, I'd like to congratulate your father for for being military stock, and that probably influenced you as well, didn't it? Um, yeah, well, like I said, it was my dad's father that was within the Pakistan military. So obviously yep. my dad was, as we would call it over here, a pad a pad brat. Pad, pad, brat, yeah. Yeah. So he was a pads brat, um, if you like. So but I think that naturally 
as you look, you can always tell. So if myself and you are out, say, in a Costa or a Starbucks, you can always tell who's military or who's associated to the military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always have those values and standards. They hold themselves in certain manners. So I think that always carries on through the generations. Yeah, yeah. So I think definitely my dad would have had some direction from that. Yeah, of course. And so you tip up... Uh, uh... Training Reg, uh, joining Parachute Regiment, which is a tough gig, really. And uh, I believe you had an experience pretty much similar to mine when the sergeant said to me, I'm your mother now, who am I? Uh, sort of thing, anyway. Might not have been his exact words, but that's what he meant. Yeah, I don't think he said it as nice as that, actually. So what happened when you got to Training Reg and uh, you were... You were there, you had your kit, and you thought, flipping it, this is it. Yeah, so it was June 2012. I remember it very, very well. It was, you know, a day of anticipation and excitement all rolled into one. What am I going to expect? And I jumped on that train from Littlehampton, and, you know, I'm there with two big rucksacks, you know, yeah. a suitcase and a rucksack and I've got an ironing board under my arm wearing a suit to everyone else that's crazy what is this young lad doing and I've jumped on the train gone all the way up to Catterick and to Darlington and I've arrived at the station at Darlington with no idea what to expect and I've jumped off the train and standing on the platform there was a ramp down to the other side it was the only exit standing at the top of that ramp was a well-built man to put it a man was standing there full mtp uniform he had his maroon beret on and a clipboard and i'm walking and i've never met this individual uh, just I, let, let me mtp uniform for people who don't know what that is just what is it that's, that's the current camouflage pattern used yeah. by the british army and the military yeah uh, so yeah, so he's standing there at the top of this uh, ramp and I've not introduced myself. I have no idea who he is. He doesn't know who I am, but he knew that I was there for him. I was yeah. there for to join the parachute regiment because I've got this ironing board. I'm wearing a suit. <laughs> not not, not that you stick out anything. <laughs> exactly, but I didn't <laughs> recognise that at the time. So I'm looking and he's just gone, oh, you. Are you joined Paris, and I was like, uh, "Yes, yes, I am." Uh, I didn't know what to call him or anything. And he said, "Call me Corporal." Right, get down there. There's a coach outside the station. Get Dublin, and I'm just like, "Whoa, what's happening?" And it's that shocker capture because yeah. that they want to instill into you. So I've gone out, jumped on the coach. We've gone to ITC Catterick, and you know we're up in the block now, standing in a line in the corridor, and they're doing a roll call. Um, so calling out. <laughs> names now my surname is ali obviously comes from yeah. that starny tie but within the parachute regiment ali is a word associated to greatness it can yeah. be used in many different forms it could be like oh that was an ali night out last night or yeah. oh, you're an ali bloke you and yeah. you know it's a word really that the paras hold with pride and use all the time <laughs> So, so the writing's uh, on the wall for you, mate, isn't it? Really? Yeah, so automatically my cards were marked and I didn't even know this. So we're standing there in this line doing the roll call and I've just heard Ali, 
Ali, who the fuck is Ali? <laughs> it was a case of, you know, raising my hand sheepishly, me, Corporal, and he was like, get out here now. No one else got called out of the line. So I got called out. I had to go to the office. Right. Uh, you know, standing there is the officer, the sergeant, the four section commanders, the full screws are all standing there looking at me. And I'm just there in my suit, just like this <laughs> oversized suit as well. It was too big for me. And, you know, and they're like, you're not Ali. Who do you think you are? Is this some sort of joke? But I had no idea what this word meant to them. Total, total innocence, yeah. Total innocence and naivety to it. So they were like, stand by you. From now on, you're known as not so Ali. Not so, <laughs> yeah, not so. We're going to call you not so. Not so. Get in line. So I think <laughs> for the next three, four months, that's all I was called not so. Um, but obviously, at the time, it was that shock of capture. It was, what have I done? I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> That's good, and I suppose the only way you could top that is if your surname was Alice. Alice, Alice, who that is Alice, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so right, let's get down to business then. That's your first <clears throat> encounter with military humour, if you like. What, what happens then, because it's a bit tough, isn't it? Like, like any training, uh, and, and it's indoctrinated that you are the best regiment in the world, uh, just the same as I was in the Royal Engineers. And we, of course, had nine squadron for paratroops and five nine for commandos as well. Uh, and, and physical training instructors, which I was. Uh, so we have all of that going on to show that we're the best. What what experience did you have in training? What did you learn? And how were your colleagues? And of course, what was the attrition? How many blokes did you lose in the basic training? How many did you start with? So that is a great question there, Joy. So I, during the training, we started off with quite a substantial number of uh, candidates, trainees, if you like. Um, so we started off with, I think, top of my head, I haven't thought about this for a while, it was probably about in the 60 to 70 mark for the platoon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a nice, strong number of candidates. By the time it actually came to our pass-off, we only had... I think it was about 14 originals left 14. from all of us that started. Oh, yeah. And then all the back party individuals that joined you. Yeah, so for ourselves, um, I was in Udna platoon, and it was during our training differs from, say, a trade within the military. So. Yeah. It's phase one and phase two. So phase one is your basic infantry skills. And yeah. then phase two would be where you go and learn your trade craft. So yeah. if you're a vehicle mechanic, your phase two would be off and learning how to um, fix vehicles and anything associated to that job role. But for us with in the infantry, phase one and two are combined. So we spend our entire six months at Catterick, ITC Catterick, yeah. and our training is obviously merged of that phase one, phase two. But mm. with the parachute regiment, what makes us stand out from the rest is we have to pass P Company, which we have um, towards the back end of our training. Yeah, I know and it. Yeah. We don't pass the two weeks P Company, which is two weeks of arduous phys and different events. 
um, 10 mile, a log, a stretcher race, yeah. um, events like that. If we do not pass those two weeks, we do not qualify to receive our maroon beret. So it's more of a trial by fire, if you like, Joe. And yeah. you know, that can knock off a lot of people, um, people that haven't really got the mindset for it. And I think that was my first introduction to mindset because mm. you can be as fit as a fiddle. But if your mindset isn't there, those two weeks become a very hard yeah. two weeks. Um, but I realised that at the time. Yeah, and I know from when I did my diver's aptitude and dragging those tyres around and carrying mm -hmm. those logs and, and on your own as well. Uh, and yeah, because you have a, a single a single man log or a single person log and a same for the tyre. And, and, and interestingly, when, I, when selection, 67 started, uh, I, I, as you know, I was seriously injured and couldn't uh, finish. Uh, about we only had, I only had about a few weeks left, and you know how many passed that? How zero, many was that? Zero. Zero. Oof. Zero. Sixty-seven lost all because there were no there was no one joining back party halfway through. So I know what you go through. Uh, even though I've not done P Company, uh, I know. I know many of my mates did, and I know what training goes into it because I worked in the gym. So well done. So right, so you passed that, which is an absolute feather in your cap to get the maroon beret. How did you feel on that day? Pass out? Obviously, extremely proud, and you know that sense of achievement was extremely high, um, especially where within the parachute regiment, what at the time i got it as it was a very normal thing to be back squatted to be injured and to move back to the platoon that yeah. started up you in essence and that was quite a normal thing because obviously our attrition rate's high yeah. the effort that is required is obviously utmost and it was a case of on the day i was very proud you know my parents were sitting there in the stand um along with all the other families watching yeah. us march out onto the square and you know perform the drill in front of them we got addressed by the um officer commanding um the second battalion at the time and also the brigadier was there for 16 air assault at the time and you know it was a very it's the day that will always um i'll carry with pride um it was amazing but after that we um so you have your pass out parade and then you go to down to the mess for you know yeah. uh pizza and beers and you, the, the party if you like yeah. and i remember my mum during my time within training, the six months, it was my birthday and my mum had created, um, she used to work in a cake factory. She had made me a big chocolate birthday cake and it was a case of, it had been sent in the post. Um, the corporals hadn't known I had received the cake. So we had a personal locker. So we had our military lockers and personal locker. Yeah. My personal locker was this cake uh, that my mom had sent me. It was a big, big cake. And one day we were having an inspection and we had to have our personal lockers open just to make sure that they were still in order. Yeah. You know, there was no mold in there or anything like that. So that was open. And the corporals straight away diverted to this big cake. And he was like, what is that? And he takes out, well, he's asked me to take out, I've taken out and I've gone, oh, it's my birthday cake. My mum makes cakes and she sent this up for my birthday. And he was like, right, take it to the office. So I've taken it down to the office. And then he's like, boss. So I called over the officer, obviously um, 
corporals call their yeah. lieutenant boss things like yeah. that so he was like boss come look at this sergeant come look at this ali's mums make cakes and he's got this massive cake and he hasn't even shared it with us so then i've got the uh obligatory press-ups for not sharing <laughs> it. Um, and then they've obviously tucked into this cake and really loved it but off the back of that this one section commander had taken a real shine to it and um he had asked me to ask my mum to send up a cake for them so my mum made them um, a lemon drizzle cake and you know oh. sent up as a peace offering to say i'm sorry i didn't give you some of my birthday cake here's a nice cake for you and um so we're having these drinks after the pass out and he's come straight over to my mum and he's gone oh, are you are you mrs ali and she's gone yeah and um yeah i am and he was like oh thank you very much for that cake that was a beautiful oh. cake i really enjoyed that and you know it was at that moment i really saw how the brotherhood works and how yeah. that family is and how i had just started my journey of attaining that by mm. passing out and passing out into this family so yeah. that was my first real experience of that and that's interesting because at the end of the day people are people and that yeah. was a good gesture that was a an exceptional gesture for you mum to do that mm. uh, and you give it to them and that went down it's, it'll never be forgotten uh, yeah. and they'll just say oh not so <laughs> got us a lemon drizzle cake that's great yeah. and uh, yeah, and, and that makes all the difference because, and you saw the human element of of the instructors and the directive staff, didn't you? Uh, really. Yeah, exactly but, that. So you're off on your first posting, and I do believe you're in one part at this stage, aren't you? Yeah, so I've passed out of Carrick and I've gone straight down to one battalion, um, Parachute Regiment over in Wales. Um, their job role was... Um, they were the support group for the special forces um so their job role was very high paced and a very um challenging job role at times for them and um, yeah. so i was very honored to go straight there as my first um choice i i'd put that down as my first choice and very honored to have been chosen to go down there so i spent four years down at one power um working and performing various tasks it was great but i never got a chance to have any operational experience while i was there because obviously in the past few years the climate has been very calm um you know time of peace yeah. we, we pulled out of uh, iraq and afghanistan and it all died down so in terms of operations it was very slow paced but the skills and the knowledge and the friendships i made there was incredible um i only spent four four and a half years there and then moved across to the second battalion over in colchester and what what was the role with the second battalion so i came across to the second battalion went straight into the rifle company as a private i was still a private at the time um so i moved across spent some time in the rifle company as a private um just a normal um low lowest rank soldier within yeah. the parachute regiment um and then from there you know i went and completed drill and duties which is the parachute regiment and guards collective promotional course for yeah. lance corporal yeah. um i went and completed that down in purbright um that was a milestone within my career you know that yeah. was the first um qualificational course that then allowed me to promote to start my journey of promotion through the ranks yeah. um, and then you know from there it was just 
day-to-day soldiering really i moved eventually moved out of the rifle company and went into more of a support role um within the mt so the motor transport so dealing with vehicles of the battalion and that side of life um and that's great because perbright's an interesting experience as well Mm, definitely (laughs) yeah um yeah it is so so now you're uh, coming up uh, to 2019 and what what's happening then in your life? So, yeah, in the period just before 2019, I went and done my second promotional course, which was um, juniors. So junior Brecon, um, junior Brecon within the infantry world is the course to attain the rank of um, corporal. Yeah. Um, and with that comes the um, the ability of being a section commander and actually leading men, um, yeah. having your own section of men and leading them, obviously, in battle and in day-to-day life as well. So quite an important role. Um, so I had gone, I completed my course. It's four-month four month course down in... Brecon and you know through there you do two months of skill at arms which is yeah. learning about all the weapon systems and learning how to instruct on them as well because part of your job role is to instruct um the weapons and teaching the young lads yeah. how to use the weapons safely and um correctly so you know you spend two months doing that then you spend two months on tactics which is you're out every day you're living in the harbor the harbor is living in the wood block so yeah. you know, you're living under a tarpaulin looking up at the stars if it's raining you're getting piss wet through so you, <laughs> you then spend two months doing that but once you completed that that again is quite a uh, achievement in itself to be yeah. junior qualified. So I had just completed that course. I had been promoted off the back of that to um, corporal. Oh, so well just, done. Well done. Thank you. I had just achieved, obviously, my second rank on the ladder now. From that, we had operate uh, operation in Afghan. So we had a tour come up in Afghan. Um, and this is going now, I'd probably say September 2019, um, we embarked over to yeah. Afghanistan. And by the way, I, I going back to Brecon, I know uh, what f- the facilities are like there, the training facilities, the, the world class, because I did my, unusually for an engineer, not engineers, I did my skill at arms instructor uh, and range master. So, uh, because we did need that those skills in the engineers, and I got chosen. So I I know how how world class that place is. So well done for getting picked up on the promotion straight away. So now you're in you're in Afghan, and what's going on there? Yeah, so Afghan for me was a time that was both incredible and a terrible point in my life all wrapped in one the emotions wow. and the the mindset during that period was fluctuating and it was a roller coaster while i was out there but afghanistan itself was incredible what we got to do out there we were not in a um, active combat environment we were there as in a supporting role so we were there providing security for mentors and this is my all second. right okay um, this is my second 
welcoming to mentors and how mentors work and the importance of it yeah. um, this time really i saw that so the first being with wes this was my second um, exposure to that so we're there providing security for mentors while they're out helping the country rebuild and um doing their job mm-hmm. working in the background to that being away for six months obviously carries a lot of weight on its shoulders you do mm-hmm. get two weeks r and r um during your six month deployment um but you know there's a lot going on and if you haven't got your mindset on point that can cause a lot of um issues and problems for yourself so as a new section commander you know i had a lot of responsibilities and i was trying to find my place as a section commander i was trying to learn my leadership styles and how i was wanted to interact with lads Uh, and and it, it, in case you're listening and wondering what a section commander is, it's it's where you're now in charge of actual people's lives, right? Uh, in a smaller way, you are as a private because you're all watching each other's back, but now you are in command of a section, mm-hmm. right? Was it eight blokes, four blokes? Or... <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so during um, Optoral, it was the the conventional as you just said joe the conventional way it works is you have your section so you have a section of let's say eight men within that you would have a second in charge of two ic being a lance corporal and then obviously the in charge is the corporal himself and the corporal would run that section when we were out on toral we actually had um so we had the it was an amalgamation of three lance corporals six privates and then right. three full screws so right, okay full screws the corporals took it in turns with duties and you know it was yeah, yeah. a different exposure to it but it was great in the sense of you know i could watch i could see individuals that have been full screws for two three years and i could see how they were doing it and i could yeah. learn that and gain that experience again a mentor in mentoring, a mentoring role, without, yeah without even knowing that that was happening um mm. so that was really nice about that um but obviously as the tour went on i started to battle with my own demons i had a lot going on in my personal life um And I hadn't left that at home when I come out to Afghanistan. So I hadn't left it behind. So that had followed me out there and that had taken its toll on my mental fitness. Right. So, so only share what you want to. Um, So your demons back home uh, and hadn't got sorted with them. What sort of demons, what sort of things have you got? So at the time I was struggling with, um personal relationships with my family and had things going on there i had issues with friends which in when you look at it when i look back at it they were very small issues they were things that should not have been an issue at the time but because of the environment because of my mindset it was just all these silly little problems coming together and it just amplified and exploded i also was my partner at the time who i've been with for five years um you know i was coming back off the tour i was hoping to ask her to marry me we were getting a place together that was my end goal for after the tour um that had taken a massive downward tank and that just ended up 
in arguing every night for three months on the phone when I'm 2,000 miles away. There's nothing you can do. So this really started to take its toll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that constant arguing and no one's talked to. And, and that's interesting because you got you probably got the DJ, DGA, dear John. Uh, yeah, definitely. And I'm totally with you on that because I've had a couple of couple of them. Uh, I know, uh, not not detracting from you, but just just to give uh, give you uh, some time to think about the next part is I I came back from a tour. It was only three months. It wasn't six months, and uh, <clears throat> I knew there was something not quite right. But anyway, we went to Portugal and I drove down there. So we were together a lot, and then I knew there was something not right. Uh, and then I, I just thought, I, I don't know who instigated it, but I just thought, this isn't working. Something's gone on while I was away. And, uh, yeah, it just, just ended. And, and I get where you're coming from because when you've got no one to share it with, like a mentor or, or a coach or someone in a close group, and, and, and remember, I, I can share with you the fact that you're now a leader, right? So you're the full screw, corporal, uh, two stripes, and who can you talk to? And maybe if you had to disclose it to the other corporals, you would have felt that you were being weak. So you're just processing it. But the fact is you're not processing it because all you're doing is ruminating. You're just thinking about the same thing over and over. And it's interesting that you said, looking back on it, the problems with your friends weren't really big problems. It's just that when you've got the cumulative effect, they start to become massive, don't they? Yeah, no, I think you've said it extremely well there, Joe. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. As as this corporal in the parachute regiment, I didn't feel like I could go and talk to anyone for fear of looking weak and yeah. for fear of not looking like a man within this man's world in the parachute regiment. So that definitely had its effects as well. And I you you hit it spot on as well i did eventually get that dear john i did get that thank you, thank I, I, you and, I'm, and I'm, I'm laughing not at, i'm laughing not at you i'm just laughing at the dear john because i know that there's loads of loads of times it's happened to I, in fact I, I do not know a soldier male or female who's not received a dear john exactly it's such a common occurrence but Again, it's if that support and you don't feel like you can talk about it to others isn't there, it can affect people in very different yeah. ways. Um, so, so what I'm getting from this is, because I know what you do now and what you do is great, and we're going to come on to that shortly. How important do you think it is to be vulnerable every now and again? Be prepared to be vulnerable with your close-knit community. Even though you're a roughy-tuffy soldier, right, whether that be male or female, you're roughy-tuffy, you're in, a, you're in what is classed as the best regiment in the world. It doesn't matter who you're serving with. And, and also in civilian life as well, when you're a leader, what do you think, how important do you think it is to be vulnerable? So the importance of vulnerability, I think, I don't think it's important to be vulnerable I think it's important to have the ability to talk about what is going on. I think when 
I think the current issue is within the serving personnel at the moment. Let's say, let's take the parachute regiment. It's such a manly world and it's, you know, you've got to be this man. But the moment you attach the word vulnerable to it, I think that makes everyone run away. But what I think is tremendously important is the ability to have that those friends, that support network around you, that you're not afraid of what you say. Yeah. And it's you're not afraid to say to them, I feel sad today. And that's not being vulnerable. That's you just being truthful with someone that is supposed to yeah. be your best friend. Yeah. And I think the importance of that is paramount. That's great. And that's a good a, a good look. Is it? Because you can say, I'm having a bad day. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. not going great. It, it could be better. And I think that the language that you use as well. I mean, I when I was in the engineers, I mean, you're you're still... You haven't been out of the military as long as I have, and we're going to talk about that in a minute as well. And and vulnerable was a bit of a what are you talking about vulnerable? Uh, yeah. When I when I, when we address it the way you just have by sharing your feelings, I suppose that can be seen as vulnerable, but dressed up in a different way, so it doesn't come across as you weak. Because mm -hmm. I know I know what you're saying. Yeah. So and I think. Joe, what we're talking about during this, the journey I've been on, after this point in 2019, it was the amount of times I actually sat there and I would, because what I found is when you're willing to talk to others and trust others with your feelings, yeah. they're more likely to reciprocate that with you. And I've sat there and, you know, with fully grown men in the parachute regiment, and we've had a hug and we've both cried because we've yeah. shared something that's needed to be spoke about. Yeah. And I just want to make sure everyone listening knows there is nothing wrong with that. No. Absolutely nothing. No. And and I'm glad you touched on it because I remember having, uh, we've been to the Army-Navy game all way back, you know, the rugby at Twickenham. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was chatting to my mate and he, he served in Kosovo, when the uh, Kosovo-Serbia problem uh, and because engineers right go in what had happened is a, a battle group there was a, an armored personnel carrier they'd gone ahead and then the driver recognized that they they were there was anti-personnel mines and there was probably some bar mines around on the track so we stopped and one of the guys got they got out to go in all around defense and it was just mayhem um and my mate got called to get them out um and then when he got there someone handed him a bag uh, and he thought, oh, it's just the, the the person's belongings. It wasn't. It was. I won't go into graphics, but it was. Mm. It wasn't good. Uh, and and we were just chatting, and he broke down. And this guy, if you saw him, like he's six foot four, and 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 in the squadron that I was in, we were the fighting twenty four. Right, that's what we know. That's, um, mm. and and yet. When we share, when he shared this story with us, you know, three o'clock in the morning, we just shared that moment, and and it'll always stick with me, because it was that time where he just not let it go, as in let the let the actual experience go, just shared some of the emotions, which I'm sure just made it slightly easier for him, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's. Uh your bonds are forged in combat 
for mm. soldiers like ourselves you know those those bonds are forged in combat but they are solidified and they're strengthened by how you share that after the combat in the downtime during your downtime and how you connect with each other and trust in each other that's what really amplifies those bonds that you forge during the missions and the tasks and things like that yeah so you didn't you're in afghanistan you've had the day john you've had the arguments you've had difficulty and then there's another blow isn't there if as if it couldn't get any worse what happened then and only share what you're happy to share because i know it was yeah, a tough it was a tough time yeah thank you joe so obviously i had taken these blows as you put it you know different things where the weight was getting heavy on my shoulders and at this point in the tour i was already contemplating i had gone into the dark um the dark space in my mind if you like mm. i was already starting to have suicidal thoughts and if you asked me this question three years ago um i would not have been able to have admitted that no. um, okay no, well, thank, and, thank you for sharing that thank yeah, you. that's okay and you know i was already starting to think about this and starting to think about maybe it's better off if i'm just not about you know i'm yeah. I'm, I'm doing well here on tour i've not got anything to go home for xyz we then took um the battalion then took a blow a heavy blow and we lost one of the lads out on mm. the tour um wow. you know he was a young lad a great lad within our section and yeah. you know we had lost him and that at the time was very hard to process not just for myself but for the battalion out there in afghanistan um so yeah. obviously everything got heightened um, you know, all the headshed were heightened. We were, the Padre was talking to us and we we're having these talks, um, you know, yeah. trim, they call it trim. So it's the, the a form of counselling, if you like, after yeah. a traumatic event to make sure everyone's okay and will be okay going forwards. So the battalion's now conducting all of this to make sure everyone's okay. This has given me not a period of, um, reflection but it's made me realize i can't keep going on this path mm. and I, I need to talk which was my issue i wasn't communicating with anyone yeah. so this had made me realize i needed to go out and talk and talk to someone so to which i had turned around i had gone to the padre the padre is um the religious man on the tour um could be from any religion um but the padre for us it was a christian padre at the time so i'd gone to him and i said look padre i'm struggling i need some help um so that then started the ball rolling really um the battalion itself was already heightened um and they were very risk adverse um because of what had happened so i eventually to Cut a long story short, I had been brought back off the tour for safeguarding reasons. Yeah. And as a section commander at the time, that was an embarrassment. 
it was an embarrassment and it was hard, very hard for me to deal with because I had turned around. I had done what I was trying not to do, which was to let people know because of the appearance and the negativity that would bring to myself what I thought would be negativity. So I had gone against that and I had gone, I need help. I spoke to someone and then I'd been sent back. I had my weapon stripped of me. I had been sent yeah. back from school. That was embarrassing. I had, yeah. as a section commander, as a person in authority, I had lost everything. So it just added even more weight on my shoulders yeah. and just pushed me deeper in a hole. And I suppose, uh, I don't know the exact detail of the contact, and there's no need for you to share it because I don't want to bring up all wounds. The fact is, though, as, as a collective section commander, the three of you, there must have been also, even though it may not have been down to you, there is a, because I, I know in situations where uh, lads under my command have been hurt, you take a responsibility for it, don't you? Even though it may have been down to outside circumstances you had no control over. Mm -hmm. So at the time when it happened, I... I had engaged with um, the private the day before, and it was just, I'd asked him to do a task. He hadn't done the task. So, you know, as a section commander, I, yeah. I, had, I had obviously said to him, look, you've not done the task. So I gave him a chewing out, if you like. You know, I'd said, yeah, come yeah. on, not done it. Gear grip, this needs to be done. Which, which, which is standard operating procedure, really, if exactly. you haven't done the task. It's just that management position, if you like. Mm. So... For me, at the time, I then started asking myself questions. Was it because I chewed him out the night before? Yeah. But what I've learned on my journey and by having that inward look at myself and where I was and what got me to there, this doesn't happen overnight. This is when someone's mental fitness is at such a low point that they would contemplate um taking their own life you know it's a case of that's a build-up over time mm. and that individual may or may not have been crying out for help in the build-up to that but a lot of the times it's a silent killer because you don't see it coming yeah. and that's what happened in this instance uh, and and who knows uh but for the grace of god go i and you you know if you hadn't assured with the padre you're challenges maybe you could have been another st statistic in your battalion exactly and you know there's you can always think what if but i like to think what came from that and it's a case of you know what can i learn from that and i think you know this is i don't yeah i think yeah uh, and by the way, if you're wondering what a padre has got to do in the scheme of things, the padre, I suppose, is the confidant, the mentor, the HR representative, the person who deals with the stuff uh, that maybe soldiers, sailors, airmen, uh, women won't, won't deal with or won't speak about to anyone else. So, yeah, that's what they do. So, right, you're back, you're back at your unit now and... Uh, What's it looking like now at your unit? So I've obviously been brought back off the tour um, for the safeguarding reasons, you know, um, which in retrospection, I'm 
I'm so happy they done it, you know, because mm. that obviously at the time I thought that was the wrong thing to do. Like I said, it was embarrassing. I had lost a lot of personal friendships from that and a lot of professional friendships from that because I was a bit of a joke, you know, I had, I was seen as this weak individual, you know, um, having these issues sort of thing. So I did lose a lot of relationships in that period, but what I've, gain from that is you know that was meant to happen in order to help me grow going forwards um so from there i then went on this downward spiral so you know i've got the embarrassment i've lost my partner i've got all these issues going on my mental fitness has taken a toll so i've just gone into this pit of despair and just gone fuck it i don't care i found a new love for wine and you know i was drinking heavily most nights um quite often i'd find myself having a bottle or two or wine a night um and i found that coping mechanism joe mm. um, which is so easy to do um and it was easier to do that than it was to go and talk to someone and get help i'm looking back on that now if what piece of what piece of, or recommendation because advice you can take it or leave it what recommendation would you give to someone who may be stirring in a similar position now and maybe hit the bottle because one one bottle of wine and i is a fair bit doing two is a significant one so i wouldn't imagine that it was leaving you in the best uh capacity to perform when a few years earlier you've been at the top of your fitness so what would you what what recommendation would you give to someone who is maybe in that position and hit rock bottom i think it's the when you're in that position it's you don't think there's a way out of the hole but mm. it's that understanding that the smallest of tasks that you complete be it waking up in the morning and just brushing your teeth. Um, yeah. Accomplishing little tasks like that is how you build the steps to get you out of the hole. Yeah. And yeah. it's just remembering that no matter how deep in a hole you are, how many bottles of wine you're drinking or what you're doing, it's there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And it may be hard to see it, but it does come from making an effort, in, in, to be honest, Joe. You've got uh to change. Yeah, and and I'm um, had I not been paralysed after my incident with when I was on selection, uh, maybe I'd have hit the bottle as well. <laughs> I couldn't move to to drink, right? Uh, so I know how bad being low can be, and all the self sabotaging, all the negative messages, right? And then, as if that's not enough, <laughs> then what happened? Because something else happened that hit you when you weren't expecting it. Yeah, definitely. So we're now in um, early 2020. Um, so I've come back off the tour. I'm in this self-deprivating hole. You know, I don't care about my life. Um, I was out on my motorbike one day. Um, I was actually returning back to base, traveling back to base uh, for work that week. Um, and I had come off on a slip road and you know i was riding down the a12 um on the way back to colchester took yeah. a slip road it was a diversion um so i hadn't used a slip road before i'd taken it and it turned out to be the world's smallest slip road with gravel on and this right. led me to 
come off uh, to skid out on the slip road. There was a curb. I hit the curb and I went bouncing and hurtling down the road um, with my bike doing the exact same, doing somersaults next to me. Um, and, and I've spun out on a grass verge and eventually come to a stop. I'm laying there on my back by myself um, and all the cars are just flying past. No one stopped. Um, oh, right. this that, was, that, was, well. that was generous uh, of them. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. But they have places to be. I won't hold any of them to it. Um, so I'm <laughs> well, laying that's, there. That's, on... very, that's very thoughtful of you, mate, actually. <laughs> But yeah, yeah I, I'm laying there on my back and, you know, I've come off my bike at 70 miles per hour and I was in a lot of pain and I'm laying there, Joe, and I'm sure you've had moments um, where you've had that self-realization and I had that self-realization of if I continue on this path, it's not mm. going to end. And, you know, at the time I had been working to get rid of the suicidal thoughts, so I yeah. definitely wasn't suicidal at the time of the accident, but I still wasn't mentally fit. I hadn't sorted mental fitness out. So I'm laying there and going, I really need to make a change. And and what what's what's a phrase that's been coming to me repeatedly is be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. Because you just might get it. And 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 when I'm working with uh clients, whether it's be veterans or, or, or business clients. I I always I always start with that pretty much, even though I may not say it. I'm looking at what what message they're giving themselves, because a lot of the times it's, and and I know you're with me on this now because you you've come out the other side now. Um, I think when you're down and you're focusing on everything you don't want, guess what? The subconscious mind doesn't. It won't work with negatives. It can't. Mm-hmm. It's not able to work with negatives. So if you take away, don't. All you've got is I. I want this. Mm-hmm. I want whatever it is. I. I want to be overweight. I want to be unfit. I want to be broke. I want to be. Whereas you're saying adult, but it, remove the adult, and you've actually got that as what you want. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Definitely, Joe. And it's what you're saying there is so important. It's you know how I like to say it is words are like spells, you know, spelling spells. Our words have the power to create our universe, our life, our story. And because that's what affects our subconscious, just as you said, it's our subconscious doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. It just knows what we project onto it. So if we're there thinking that we're, uh, overweight if we think we're not fast enough or if we think we're not clever enough that's going to take its toll subconsciously and yeah. that will just manifest and present itself as evidence in front of our eyes exactly so you're, you're on the grass verge you motorbikes in bits mm. next year unfortunately it didn't hit you or not hit you sufficiently to to kill you you've got all the cars driving by and you're thinking to yourself thank you and waving to them you don't, and then you're thinking, "Wow, I've got to reevaluate my life, and mm-hmm. I'm, I want to, I want to live rather than the alternative." So, at that evangelical moment, that um, eureka moment, what what changes? So, from that moment on, you know, I've jumped 
I've then jumped straight into let's make an active change. What I thought at the time was making a correct change. I then off the back of that, I had sustained injuries, physical injuries to the left side of my body, um, my left arm, left shoulder and uh, my back. So that had presented me with issues day to day life and within my career within the parachute regiment. It's a very arduous and physically demanding job, you right. know, so that was causing its difficulties there. It also left me with a MTBI, so mild traumatic brain injury. So this presents itself in a number of ways um, and everyone's signs and symptoms are different. But for myself, that made me struggle with cognitive, um, with speech. At times I kind of slur my words or I'll mix my words up. My memory has taken a massive hit and, you know, it's really affected my brain capacity, if you like, in day to day. So I had my struggles, Joe, and yeah. it was a case of, and this is why I said I thought I had made a change in my life. I thought I had made the right choice to move forwards because I thought I want to do a full career in the military. I want to do 22 years. I want to hit RSM. I want to get LE. LE obviously is late entry officer. So getting that promotion to officer and getting my commission. That's what I thought I wanted. So I actively ignored my injury and try yeah. to hide my injuries in order for me to be able to achieve that goal I had set within the military. Because if I was honest at the time about my injury, that would have set me up for a medical discharge because the med chain would have not accepted me to carry on with yeah. those injuries. Yeah. So I was hiding that, Joe. Yeah, and, and interestingly enough, after I had my incident and I was paralysed, uh, <laughs> I when the doc, when the doctor consultant told me it didn't sink in because only the day earlier I was as fit as ten men, uh, mm. and, he, and and as he's walking off, I said, "Oh, by the way, doc, can you patch me up? Uh, I've got a marathon to run next week for charity in New York." And he turned around and looked at me and, and looked at the clipboard and just said, "Mr. O'Connor, I'm not sure you understood what I said." Mm -hmm. So there's the denial, isn't there? There's yeah. the shock. The denial and 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 as I process it and I've processed it now and probably you've done similar is that if I was a salesman working for the company and I wasn't selling for one reason or another, well then it'd be returned to unit or fired, right? Mm -hmm. So with me, I couldn't go back to my bomb disposal unit because I couldn't feel. Mm -hmm. I, I can't feel the wires to diffuse any ordnance couldn't be doing special forces and that's the same as you then so you you've just in an instance everything's being removed from what you were focusing on for your dream yeah definitely but it's just like you said there was heavily that denial i was denying that in order to try and continue this career and to do what i wanted but like I said, I had those injuries that were causing me problems at work. Mm. So, you know, I wasn't performing as well in my day-to-day -day job. I wasn't able to do the physical training, which then is such a big thing in the parachute regiment. Yeah. So yeah. automatically my chain of command and, you know, my higher ups are looking at me going, you're fucking up. Why are you causing these problems? What's going on? But yeah. I could say to them, I'm struggling with paperwork because my memory's off or my writing's affected. 
yeah. can I have some help? And again, I'm back to that point where I'm I'm scared to ask for help. Yeah. And you know, I got given a new job role and it was to maintain the battalion's driver documents. And you know, we're talking about 500 folders of individuals. Um qualifications and ensuring they're up to date and this was a mammoth task and i found myself in the first month of having that task i had to i was in the office till two three in the morning Mm. and you know i'm struggling mentally i'm struggling with my injuries and my uh, brain injury and i'm in the office till two three in the morning doing my absolute utmost to provide and to ensure the battalion is still at readiness to be able to deploy and to ensure that it's there sorted out. And that that is a massive responsibility because you're in charge of logistics. If they've got to go, uh, if you if there's a contact, then you're called. It's got to be. There's no time to be messing around. So you're 100 percent committed in being delivering everything. The fact is that you're only functioning on 50%, forgive me for putting it in that term, in those terms. Uh, and, and that's about right, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. So as you just said, I wasn't focusing on myself. I was focusing on, you know, the battalion and I was focusing on others. I was putting others before myself. But mm. when I was laying there back on that grass verge, I had said, I'm going to think of myself here. I'm going to make a change for me. But yeah. I hadn't done that. And just like you said earlier, Joe, I hadn't had that acceptance yet. Yeah. Hadn't accepted it. I was still in denial. Right. So you just went, sod it or something worse, worse to that effect. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm sitting there and I'm going, what am I doing? Why am I here supporting others? I need to focus on myself. So that led me to go back to the medical chain, to the doctor and say, here, look, doc, this is what I'm struggling with. Let's get this sorted. What can we do? But I knew that by saying that, that was going to kickstart that medical discharge process. What I was trying to stop from happening, I knew it was going to happen now. So in had I come to peace with it? No. But was I accepting that that was a possibility of it? I was there now. I had, I was now on the road of acceptance um, and to get away from denial. Yeah. So this has kicked off that process and it's inevitably led to my medical discharge. Yeah, I, and and that is a tough gig, especially when you've been focused all your life. Uh, and I, I suppose that the, the, the normal, after a major incident like that, the, the normal procedure in the mind is shock, denial, anger, acceptance, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Right. And when when it's interesting because when I talked about forgiveness, some people say, oh, I, I, I'll, I'll forget, but I can never forgive. Well, unless you forgive, you, you, you're not able to forget because you've always got that hang up, that relationship with the incident. And 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 I know you 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 totally appreciate this. this the, the the magical thing about forgiveness is the forgiveness is to forgive the incident, which releases the emotions from you. Because probably the person you're forgiving or the incident you're forgiving 
don't even know. And if they did know it was causing you a problem, they'd be, they'd be glad. <laughs> Most yeah. of them would be glad. The forgiveness is for you. So you've gone through the acceptance. You've recognised that, oh, I've dropped the ball because it's all the dot. So there was a lot of struggles going on. And then what happened? So where are you now? So during this period, this the period from having the bike crash to actually being medically discharged in August 2023, in the back of my mind, I always had the thought of I need to prepare myself in case the inevitable ever happened. Because um, as much as I was trying to fight it, I couldn't make sure that it would never happen. So mm. that was out of my power. So I had to make sure that there was something in place. Because as you know, Joe, um, you know, with all your knowledge and experience in finance, it's if you have one paycheck, you're one step away from poverty. If that yeah, paycheck yeah, yeah. gets taken away, that's you done. And I had that realization. So I knew I had to set something up. So this, this is um, when I linked up with my now business partner, Brendan Blair. Brendan used to serve with me in the parachute regiment. And, you know, during our time in the Paris together, we knew each other. We worked together. There wasn't a strong friendship. There wasn't a strong bond, but there was a bond of being paras and working together. But we had met now. Um, so we're talking late 2020. Myself and him had now linked up and we had come together and had this idea to start a company. And, you know, this was our first company that we created. And it was um, a financial technologies and solutions company that primarily focuses on Web3 and blockchain and the tokenization of real world assets. And so we had come together and we had started doing this in the background to while I was trying to hide uh, my signs and symptoms so I could continue my career. So yeah. if we look at my life now, we've got two conflicting stories. We've got one where I'm trying to create a company and create a better life. And we've got the second where I'm trying to hide my injuries to have a career in the military. So they don't actually mesh. Their energies don't combine. And, you know, subconsciously, as we were talking about earlier, my subconscious was having a constant battle yeah because i was still in denial so this has gone on so for the three years i'd spent juggling this med discharge and the build-up to the medical discharge i had been creating this ecosystem with my business partner so when the day actually came and i remember it very vividly it was um december um 2022 we were at the stand down parade and my boss had come and grabbed me and for Christmas and my boss had come and grabbed me and said, uh, Corporal Ali, after this parade, you've got to go and see the doctor. Um, he wants to have a, a meeting with you. And I was like, okay, no worries. And he was like, not at the med center over at BHQ. So battalion headquarters. Yeah. So I didn't know the doctor had an office in BHQ. So for me, I was very like, oh, why am I not going to the med center? Yeah. Um, so we had the stand down parade for Christmas. And then afterwards, I've gone over to see the doctor. And I've gone up, we've sat there, we've gone through some paperwork, had um, some talks about different things. And then he goes, thank you for your service. And I went, pardon? And he went, thank you for your service, Corporal Ali. That's your two-man med board's been completed. I will now press this forwards to Glasgow. They will make a decision. And the most likely outcome of that is you will be getting medically discharged. And it was at that moment that I real reality just hit. 
And I was like, oh, this is actually happening. And I was like, okay, how long have I got, Doc? And he was like, um, it depends how long it takes Glasgow to process the paperwork. But once they've processed it, that could be in a week's time, in two months' time, or a couple of days' time. They couldn't put a date on that. But he said, once that's been done, you will have four months left till you're out. And, and just out of interest, when you went to see him for that appointment, meeting, uh, parade, if you like, what what inkling did you have that that was going to happen? Anything or did you just think it was a chat? I think in the back of my head, I knew that it was coming because I knew that I had started that process in order to um, treat my injuries and my symptoms. I knew that I'd kick-started the process for a med yeah. discharge. Did I think that that was going to be it happening there and then? No, but I think I did know in the back yeah, of my yeah. mind it was a possibility. In 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 your heart of hearts, you knew. In my heart, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, you just. Well, you, so maybe uh, that could have been put across a little bit better, perhaps. So right, so you're you've just received your MD. Uh, how are you feeling now? So now I'm I'm juggling a mix of emotions, Joe. You know, I'm I'm excited for the next step of my journey. I'm anxious. I don't really know what's going to happen. Was it the right decision? Was it not the right decision? Did yeah. I actually make the wrong decision? And did I should I have stayed in and done a full career? And you know, earlier on in this conversation, Joe, we we're talking about my dad and how he wanted me to go and get a trade. Um, if we fast forward now, it was when I told my parents, I think they had more worry for me than yeah. I actually had for myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because my dad was like, well, what are you going to do? I, I don't know. You, you need to fix this. You can't leave. You need to get the decision yeah. upturned. Or what, like My dad was more worried for myself. Yeah. But the important thing to remember is on this journey of three years from the bike crash to where we are now, it's a case of I had worked on my mindset all along that. So mm. as every day, every month, every year went by, I was trying to get stronger mentally and yeah. have that robust mental fitness. And I suppose like talking, going back to Dear John's, that's probably the biggest Dear John you've received to date, isn't it? From the military. That, 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 med, for, that med for document. Right. Yeah, that. Thank you for your service. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Got four months. We'll, we'll see you later. <laughs> yeah, and do one, mate. Yeah. So, but that's the thing, Joe. And it is, we joke about it, but the reality of it is, when they say thank you for your service, you get med discharged. You have four months to sort yeah. your life, out, and that's you done. There's no extension. There's no. Yeah. Oh, we might bring you back. It's thank you, mate. You're done. Yeah. You're off. And, and, and that's when. Reality kicks in that it is an organisation that you are yeah. just a number within the cogs. Yeah, and again, them. and again, I show you pain. I know what that sense of loss is like because it's not just it's not just you leaving a job. You're leaving a culture. You're leaving your mates. You're leaving an indoctrination, if you like, a way of life. Right. Mm -hmm. So. So you got the four months uh, 
And then you've got Brendan, and I know you've got some other guys in place now. So what's your mission? What are you doing? Uh, and we can talk about how we met uh, as well. Uh, so what brought you what brought the idea, what was caused the birth of the company you're doing now? Because I can see it in the background, those of you watching on uh, uh, on YouTube can see the Genesis group. And if you can't, you can see the pop-up uh, stand, which is Genesis group. So what's Genesis group all about? So yeah, no, thank you, Joe. So Genesis group obviously started, as I just said, as this financial technologies company back three years ago. From there, during this journey over the past three years, I've identified the issues and problems that veterans current serving members of the armed forces um, face day to day and you know after their service so myself and brendan came together and to date we now have six companies um, that we've created and are out there and each company is hyper focused in its own industry so for example we've got a media and marketing company and you know this is this combined with the other companies within the ecosystem, they're all there to provide that support and that um, assistance to the communities that we're both a part of, Joe. And it's this has now culminated into our seventh company, which is the Armed Forces Business Centre. And this is a beautiful location here in Colchester um, that is a fusion of business and charity coming together to provide the epiphany of support for veterans and Blue Light members. Which is absolutely fantastic uh, because, you know, uh... We shared a dream to help veterans, which is why we're going to be collaborating a lot on uh, the Transformation Centre and developing uh, up in Cheshire. So we're going to do a lot of collaboration. And in fact, you've invited me down as one of your guest speakers, which I'm extremely grateful and honoured to, to be at, which is in March, isn't it? And what's, that, what's going to happen on that day? March 2024, yeah. in case uh, you're not sure which year. Yeah, beautiful. So, as I just said, we've got this uh, building in Colchester, the Armed Forces Business Centre. Our grand opening is the 1st of March. That's um, obviously, you've got your invitation to that, Joe. And okay. that's going to be a tremendous day, you know, a day of um, grandeur, if you like. We're letting the best kept secret that we've built for the past three years, that's us now pushing that out and opening those doors up to provide that support to everyone. But as you just mentioned, you've been invited down as our guest speaker, and that's to our first live event at the Armed Forces Business Centre, running from the 8th to the 10th of March. And, you know, we've got some great-minded individuals. We've got yourself with finance and all your wealth and knowledge. And, you know, we want to have this environment where you can still be serving. You can be serving and just want to increase your knowledge or start a little side hustle um, for want of a better way or you yeah. could be a veteran that's been out for eight years and you're looking for a new lease on life and you know this event will be there to provide that knowledge to the yeah. individuals and and i totally get how important it is even even if you think oh well it's only three days yeah it's three days 
packed full of useful stuff and networking opportunities. And even though you may not recognize it now, I would certainly highly recommend that you do all the networking that you can because what I want to what I want to do is I want to cover a few things on how do you deal with failure? So for myself, Joe, it's uh I've thought about this question quite a lot recently and it's in the early days of my military career going into the parachute regiment, you know, we spoke about that indoctrination and that indoctrination for the parachute regiment is you are the best. You are the mm. best within the British army. You are top of your level. You are Greek gods, if you like. And, yeah, you know, yeah. that's how we hold ourselves and carry ourselves. So when it comes to failure, we don't fail. We, we always achieve what we want. You know, we do what we want. We achieve what we want and we go for it. So for me, failure was very much a, uh, made think and made me realize that I never really dealt with failure. I never really looked at it or acknowledged it. I just was kind of naive to it. But as I've grown and my mindset has grown, I've now realized that you don't actually fail it un unless you actually stop yourself from carrying on your journey to achieve your goal. You don't actually fail. You've just taken another route to get to what you were intending to accomplish. Yeah, well, let me give you this uh, mnemonic, because I know we love mnemonics in the military. Fail is first attempt in learning. That's beautiful. I love that. First attempt in learning. Yeah. Uh, when I was told that, I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. That. <laughs> uh, that's beautiful, because it's, it's so important to remember that you've got to fail forwards. You've got to learn from that and use that to get stronger. And with no failure, we wouldn't recognise what success looks like. So speaking of which, uh, what's the secret of your success? E even though you probably think I'm not successful yet because I've still got all this to do, the fact that you've come through what you've, you've come through is success in itself. So what's the secret? And uh, you've already touched on it. We'll just drill down a bit. So for myself, you said it perfectly. I'm, I'm not successful yet, but what I am is I've achieved some great things. And in order for me to be sitting where I am now with the ecosystem that myself and Brendan have created and with the Armed Forces Business Centre and having the ability to give back to the veterans, I'm here because I surrounded myself with great people. Mm. Because you can attempt to do something on your own, but it'll take you twice as long or it'll yeah. be four times as hard. But if you surround yourself with great knowledgeable people, your support, your networking and having that mastermind around you, that is so important. We've touched on social and business network and I know you're growing your network all the time. How important do you think that is to have a good network around you? It's absolutely fundamental. It's one of the pillars of success is having that support around you, as I mm. just said. But it's also, if we think about it, if your five friends are drug addicts, you're going to be the sixth drug addicts. To Pretty much. Yeah. If your five friends are millionaires, you will be the sixth millionaire. And I promise you that. And it's, you know, during this journey, and I'm sure you found it as well, Joe, as you go along your journey, you tend to leave people behind. Yeah. And that's not because of negativity or anything bad. 
that's got to be seen as a good thing because you're just you've outgrown them yeah. and they're on a different journey and a different path from yourself yeah which is interesting because I know when you when you said after you'd been returned to unit from Afghanistan and all your mates were mocking you or whatever and thinking you were weak, then you got to look at the fact, were they really mates? Or, or were they mates at a time when you were okay and then when you went on a different path, it didn't turn out? So that's a very important point to make sure... Uh, you surround yourself with people who think like you, uh, and 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 may, maybe who think in a way that you want to think, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, Joe. And you know, in having gone through this journey and having worked on my mental fitness, I would never have been able to associate that, like you just said so perfectly. I was shedding weight. Back then, when I lost those relationships, I would never have thought to even associate that with, at the time, that looks like failure, as we just said, but that wasn't actually failure. That was growth. That was the first attempt in learning. And when when I go in a room, I don't want to be the cleverest person in the room because I won't learn anything. Definitely not. No. I'm not so I'm not so keen on being the dumbest person in the room, but if I am, then that's okay as well, because it means that I've got to lift myself up to to be mm-hmm. on a plateau with the other guys. So, coaching and mentoring, we've been we've been touching on that all the time. Uh, the the guy who was the arcade chap, um, yeah, earlier on in the conversation, it was was it Wes? Yeah, Wes. Uh, yeah, how like how important do you think it is to have a good coach mentor? throughout your life period it's absolutely fundamental joe and you know back when i started my entrepreneurial journey it was a case of i was doing it myself i was with my business partner brendan we were doing everything ourselves i was trying to learn business you know like Mm -hmm. i said i didn't get a degree i didn't finish college i was learning everything myself the real life experience in essence to get me to where i wanted to go yeah I could do that myself, but it was taking me forever. So one of the best things I done was I went and paid for a mentor. And, you yeah. know, I paid to have a mentor and that opened up a whole different world. Yeah. It was like a cheat code in business because as soon as I done that, it was, why are you struggling on that? I've done that. Listen to my wealth of knowledge and experience. This is what you need to do. That will help you out. Now go do it. And you're like, I've just spent three yeah. weeks to figure out how to sort this out and you've just solved it in a day yeah and another point as well is like surround yourself with people who are good at what you're not good at and then you can do some exchange work collaboration because they will they will be able to fulfill the obligations of your weaknesses so then you're strong all around then which is pretty much what we do in the military uh if we need earth support we call you guys in you need a bridge, a battle group forward, you call us in, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about teamwork and, and making sure that you've got a strong network uh, to support you. And and obviously, you're a big believer in transferable skills from the military, you know, discipline, integrity, honesty, strength, reliability, all of that stuff. So how transferable do you think the skills are? The skills that a individual acquires within the military are 
absolutely worth their weight in gold within the civilian world. But unfortunately, they don't know how valuable these skills are. Mm. There's there's a time I remember back when I was doing skill at arms in Brecon and we were giving lessons on the weapon system, you know, yeah. so we're there we're given a lesson, but we're also there in a leadership position. And yeah. the night before, I remember everyone was sitting there and they were up till three, four in the morning trying to learn their lessons. Yeah, being a, yeah. And it's you you know exactly how it is. But what I found in that time was I found a way of doing it and pushing that out there from I had listened to what the instructors had taught me and it wasn't this wasn't a skill that I got a qualification for I didn't get a certificate in it I just yeah. listened and I had used that and I was getting top grades at skill at arms because I had listened and I had learned this yeah. from the instructors why am I saying this because during my transition out I went down to Jess and James's public speaker course and yeah. I went and learned how to speak publicly and how to do speak to sale and different things like that. And what I realized in that moment was what I had just paid to learn from Jesson was what the military had taught me all yeah. those years ago in Brecon. I just didn't connect it to the civilian world. And back to your original question, transferable skills, it's little things like that. It's a lack of education on how valuable those skills are. And this is something we're going to combat with the Armed Forces Business Center, myself and you, Joe, so we can actually get that out there and yeah. teach the individuals. And funnily enough, thank you for that. Uh, funnily enough, I know Jason and I, I worked alongside him. We worked together as speaker coaches, so I know mm -hmm. everything he teaches. And and on that journey, I spent tens of thousands of pounds. And then I, the penny doctor is just thought like you said, I know all this. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're going to collaborate because we want to show people how to do it. Uh, uh, and, and that's our give back. Finally, the Colombo question. Oh, and just one more thing. What's the one tip from your experience, wisdom and knowledge? What's the one tip you would give to someone who's leaving the military or a veteran who might be wanting to expand or grow or, or, or just get out of the deep brown sticky stuff? What's the one tip you give them? So, I think the thing I want to emphasize the most is the importance of communication, the importance of being able to talk about your current position. But it's also remembering that just by achieving one task a day and growing 1% a day, if you manage to continue that and every day you just change one thing and you grow that 1% a day in a year, you will grow 365%. And I mean, that's a three and a half times return on where, where you were a year ago. And it's just the takeaway from that really is the smallest of change and the smallest of um, accomplishment can make the biggest of differences cumulatively. Exactly. Well, listen, how can people contact you uh, and your organisation? Yeah, beautiful. So all anyone has to do is just jump onto any of the social platforms, just chuck in Genesis Group, um, go to our website, www.genesisgroupglobal.global, uh, and they'll be able to contact ourselves. Thank you, Chris. And remembering, of course, that joelteams.com 
forward slash register is where you can find out more about all of the resources that I put together. And, you know, together we can make a difference. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. You take care and have a brilliant day. And you, Joe. Thank you very much. Thank you.